Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. Our first lesson for this fifth Sunday in Lent is found in recorded in 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning of the 17th verse. But the woman conceived, and she gave birth to a son at that same time of year, just as Elisha said to her. The boy grew up, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. Then he said to his father, My head, my head. His father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. So he picked him up and carried him to his mother, and the boy sat on her lap until noon. Then he died. Then she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. She shut the door behind her and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Send one of your servants to me with one of the donkeys so that I can run to the man of God and come back. He said, Why are you going to him today? It's not the new moon, and it's not the Sabbath. But she said, it's all right. Then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead the way. Don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her from a distance, he said to his servant, Gehazi, look, that's the woman from Shunem. Now run to meet her and say, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your son all right? She answered, we're all right. When she came to the man of God at the mountain, and she grasped his feet, Gehazi stepped forward to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone, for her soul is in distress. But the Lord has hidden it from me. He has not told me. Then she said, did I... Ask my Lord for a son? Didn't I say, don't give me false hope? Then Elisha said to Gehazi, Hike up your garments for travel, and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet someone, do not greet him. And if someone greets you, do not answer. Put my staff on the boy's face. But the boy's mother said, As surely as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went ahead of them and put the staff on the boy's face. But there was no sound, and there was no response. So he went back to Elisha and told him the boy did not wake up. When Elisha came to the house, there the boy was, dead, lying on his bed. So he went in, and he shut the door behind the two of them. Then he prayed to the Lord. He got up and lay down on top of the boy. He put his mouth to the boy's mouth, his eyes to the boy's eyes, his palms to the boy's palms. Then he bent down over him, and the boy's flesh became warm. He went back into the house and paced back and forth. Then he went up and bent down over him, and the boy sneezed seven times. Then the boy opened his eyes. Then Elisha called Gehazi and said, Call the mother of Shunem. He called her, and she came in. 
He said, pick up your son. So she came in and fell at Elisha's feet and bowed down to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. The word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, beginning at the 11th verse. And if the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies alive through his spirit who is dwelling in you. So then, brothers, we do not owe it to the sinful flesh to live in harmony with it. For if you live in harmony with the sinful flesh, you are going to die. But if by the spirit you put to death the actions of the body, you will live. Indeed, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery so that you are afraid again, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we call out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself joins our spirit in testifying that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, we are also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ since we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I conclude that our sufferings at the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. In fact, creation is waiting with eager longing for the sons of God to be revealed. The word of the Lord. Our gospel for this morning is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, beginning at the 17th verse. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him while Mary was sitting in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha replied, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even if he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never perish. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Jesus was deeply moved again as he came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Take away the stone, he said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor because it has been four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out with his feet and his hands bound with strips of linen and his face wrapped with a cloth. 
Jesus told them, loose him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what Jesus did, believed in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded in St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, beginning at verse 11. I will read these words once more. And if the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies alive through his spirit who is dwelling in you. So then, brothers, we do not owe it to the sinful flesh to live in harmony with it. For if you live in harmony with the sinful flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the actions of the body, you will live. Indeed, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery so that you are afraid again, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we call out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself joins our spirit in testifying that we are God's children. Now if we are children, we are also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Since we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I conclude that our sufferings at the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. In fact, creation is waiting with eager longing for the sons of God to be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I was just asked the other day a very important question. In fact, I haven't heard this question in really the last several years. Early in my ministry, I heard this question at least once a week. And the question was simply this. Why did they change the word Holy Ghost to Holy Spirit? Many of us grew up with the King James Learn language. We memorized passage from the King James uh, version of the translation of the Bible. And, and there you had Holy Ghost. The service had Holy Ghost. We always spoke of the Holy Ghost. Now with the newer translations, it is the word Holy Spirit. By the way, I, I use to answer that question, why they moved the translation from Holy Ghost to Holy Spirit, it's the same answer I gave. It was the same answer that was given to me. Well, the big reason is we went from Holy Ghost to Holy Spirit because ghosts can be rather scary and the Holy Spirit isn't meant to be scary. Or you could kind of belittle the Holy Spirit and see him like Casper the ghost when really it is God the Holy Spirit. So we moved from ghost to spirit because it won't scare kids. But there's actually a more detailed explanation of, quite honestly, spirit is the better translation. And part of it really comes in because you and I, in speaking English, are speaking a living language that changes over time. The word spirit in and of itself 
actually in its most basic meaning means breath or wind. As soon as I hear that, I think of the Garden of Eden and I think of how God made Adam from the dust of the ground and remember the second thing? Unlike the animals, who, the land animals were made from the dust of the ground, God did something different for Adam than he did for the animals. He breathed into Adam the breath of life. This is why we refer to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of life. Certainly for Adam giving physical life, but more than that, as we'll hear in our text before us, this Holy Spirit gives spiritual life. Another reason why spirit is probably a stronger translation than ghost is because of, in our text, over and over and over again, the Apostle Paul always speaks of the Holy Spirit as the one that is in you. So we certainly don't want to give the impression that the Holy Ghost is in you like some kind of demon possession. But rather, the Holy Spirit is living in you. He's not some ghost that's floating around. He is in you. And he is working in you. And he always works faith. And he always strengthens faith. And because faith always has to have an object, the, the saving faith's object is always Jesus Christ. So this Holy Spirit who is living in you always through that gospel is testifying in your heart of Jesus Christ and your salvation that you have through him. Without the Holy Spirit, we could not be saved because without faith, we are eternally damned. And another thing to keep in mind as well is that the word Holy Spirit is also, the word spirit that is, is the same word for your spirit. So we don't speak of just simply your ghost. Yes, there is that phrase, he gave up the ghost. But we don't usually speak of it that way. We speak of our spirit. Our spirit referring to our mind and our heart. In fact, you can translate that word as really your mindset. And the Holy Spirit works on your spirit because he lives within you. Once again, always testifying of Christ. So when it comes to an English translation, you will notice that when speaking of the Holy Spirit, the translators will capitalize the word spirit. But when referring to your spirit, they use the small s. It is not that way in the original language. Unless it is the first word in a sentence, the word spirit is not capitalized in the Greek. And so we always have to look at the context when trying to understand, is he talking about the Holy Spirit or is he talking about my spirit? The truth of the matter is, is when you're speaking of your spirit, you really have to speak about the Holy Spirit as well. Because the Holy Spirit affects your spirit. Without the Holy Spirit working on your spirit, you have no spirit. In fact, you're consumed by the sinful flesh. So what helps us when we read a section always looking at the context, we look for words like, like holy, really helps. But 
Paul opens with, if the Spirit, well, should that be capitalized or not? Here it's capitalized, and I totally agree with that interpretation. Earlier, Paul spoke of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. Here in our text, you can honestly say he speaks of the Spirit of the Father. Notice what he says. If the Spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Well, the one who raised Jesus from the dead is God the Father. So the Spirit of the Father? This is the Holy Spirit. And now we have an argument, don't we, from the greater to the lesser. If God can do this great thing like raising Jesus from the dead, can he not do the lesser thing, which is extremely important for us all, and that is raise us from the dead, the same God the Father, and he does this through the Spirit who is living in us. And because of this, the Holy Spirit is working in your heart to convince you to work on that heart by, by working on your faith and strengthening your faith to cling to Christ. He's also convincing you in the name of Jesus Christ that there is life after death. And therefore, Jesus' resurrection is proof of our resurrection. But that's not the only thing he convinces us of. He also convinces us, us, us of that we have an obligation. Obligation, ultimately, to the one who raises us from the dead, the very one who even made us, the one who gave us spiritual life, let alone physical life. We owe our obligation to him. And did you notice in that verse 11 that opens our text that you have all three persons of the Trinity? You have the Spirit mentioned. You have the Father mentioned. You have Jesus mentioned. We worship one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. We do not worship three gods. We worship one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our obligation is to the Father who raised Christ from the dead. Our obligation is to the Son who gave us life and paid for our sins in full. And our obligation is to the Holy Spirit who lives within us, testifying of Christ. Therefore, we do not have an obligation to the sinful flesh, to our sinful nature, a nature we inherited that goes back to Adam and Eve with the fall into sin. We're told in Scripture that Adam's son was born in the image of Adam, not in the image of God. He inherited a sinful nature. Going back to Adam and Eve, each and every one of us, has certainly one thing in common. We are sinful human beings. This sinful nature has cursed our very human nature. And when it comes to our sinful nature, it rules us. It controls us. It rules us to live for selfishness. It rules us to go against God's word. Why listen to God when I am God? And I deserve to be God. It is my feelings that matter. It's my life and I can do with it what I want. It's all about me. The sinful nature loves what is called the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. And along with it, it rules me with fear. 
fear of death itself, knowing that the punishment of sin is death and death in hell. We don't owe allegiance to our sinful nature. We have an obligation to the very one who saved us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, the triune God. My dear friends, if you live according to the sinful nature, Paul makes it very clear, you will die. He doesn't say you may die, you might die. He says you will die. If you're living according to the sinful nature, you have no faith in God. Now, yes, it is true. We struggle with our sinful nature. The whole chapter before this talks about the battle that goes on within us. Keep in mind that, that the sinful nature is completely opposite of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual life that he has created in you through the gospel. In fact, they're not only opposite, they oppose each other. And Paul even describes it as the good you want to do, which you don't do, and the evil you don't want to do, which you're very much tempted to do. He even speaks of this battle, is who's going to rescue me from this body of death? And then he goes on to say, but thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the Holy Spirit is in your heart, testifying to that divine truth. So when we come before the Lord, we do so with repentant hearts. Repentant hearts that acknowledge our sinful nature. Yes, Lord, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. But our repentance doesn't end there. Our repentance is also empowered and motivated and strengthened by the Holy Spirit who is living in us also confess Lord you paid for my sins in full and because of this I am convinced through the Holy Spirit that lives within me that I do have a new relationship not as a one to my sinful nature not as a one that's really a, a, a slave to fear but a new relationship that can easily be summed up with the words, or with the word, adoption. I was the son of Satan. I was the son of my own selfishness. I was the son of fear and death and condemnation. But it was the Lord by his grace that he took me and chose me and chose you as his very own. You didn't choose him. He chose you. He loved you. He paid for his sins for you. He did everything, even the resurrection and having life after death. He did it all for you and for me and for all. Because of this, you are adopted and now called sons of God. And the word son of God is not emphasizing gender. It's emphasizing relationship. See, the opposite of the son is slave. A slave was just worked for the master. He had to answer to the master. The one thing is, the slave was never considered a member of the family. 
He was outside the family. To be called the son of God means we are members of the family. We belong to the family. We've been, we, whether we're male or female, are sons of God and not slaves to fear. We are sons of God who have, as he also goes on to say, a loving father. For he also calls us children of God. And as children of God, we confess. In fact, Paul writes, we shout it out. The word literally means to scream it out. Because you can't help but get it out. It's too wonderful. And it's a message you want everyone to hear. As we call our God, not the angry judge, not the God who's out to get me, not God who hates me, but Abba, Father. The word Abba is Aramaic for Father. And I always love that word. Because isn't the first sound of a child, ah and ba? And hear both sounds right there, Abba. That was the name that God chose. Because he is our father, and we are his children. And what's really interesting is the very one we pray, Father, is the father of the Son of God which means all the blessings that the Father has given to the Son, he gives to us because we are, Jesus is our brother. And Jesus being our brother can rejoice in the fact that the blessings of his suffering, the blessings of his sacrifice, the blessings of his glory, the blessings of his resurrection, all of that is ours. Martin Luther would sum it up as the blessings being the forgiveness of sins, the new life and new relationship, and the hope of everlasting life in heaven. It's all ours. It's God's gift to all of us. And this is what the Holy Spirit is testifying in our hearts through that gospel. Not only are we children, but we are heirs. We have an inheritance, and that inheritance is eternal salvation, without a doubt. But we're also, as it says here, fellow heirs with Christ. And Paul explains what he means by that when he writes, since we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. It was Jesus who told his disciples that People will hate you, but it's really me they hate. Because, because his disciples believed in him and followed him and lived for him, people would reject that, those that reject the Lord as their Savior. And the people would suffer because of it. And we face sufferings and persecutions as well. I fear that the days ahead, there's going to be even more and more. And it, and the temptation to give up your Christianity, the temptation to hide it, the temptation to be silent is going to be so great. We don't want to get in arguments and fights with people. But we must stand firm on the truth that we are children of God. Knowing we have been adopted and we are heirs of everlasting life. And notice how, the Paul, how Paul speaks about this suffering. He said it doesn't even compare 
to the glory that will be revealed in us. He even personifies creation as if creation itself has feelings and, and thoughts. Because even all of creation that has been cursed by sin, because of the fall into sin, is suffering, looking for the day when there will be liberation and the day will fully take place on Judgment Day, the last day of the world. And on that day, the sons of God, the children of God, will be revealed and taken to the glories of heaven. So all of creation yearns for that day, longs for that day. So when it comes to facing suffering, persecution, facing the trials and the difficulties of life, I love how Paul puts it here. Jesus did the same thing, by the way. He never spoke of when people were facing suffering as tough it out, get over it, it's going to be okay, cry it out, get in touch with your feelings, process those feelings, or simply rub some dirt on it. He replies with, you look to heaven because heaven is your home. Because Jesus is your Savior. Because the Holy Spirit is in you testifying of this divine truth. So as we live in these end times, do so knowing who you really are. In the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are children of God and heirs of everlasting life. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemevlutheran.org. May God bless you today and every day.